This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Creating value to your manager, to your organization, and creating value for your end clients, whichever way you're creating value, it's very, very important and you can never do enough of it, right, Lee? That's absolutely true. And not only does it have to be value, it's not what, what you think value is, it's what the customer thinks value is. It has to be relevant to them. And so that's why we've got a great guest on this week to talk about that. That's right. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. And I'll tell you, Mark Boundy has got, I've listened to your interview, Mark, on the, the C-Suite Network Book Club, and you, the, you have turned this idea of value on its head. It was very interesting to hear you talk about this. Well, thanks. I, um, I have kind of made a lifelong study of customer value and um, I've got this twisted idea that sales and your success in sales is all in your customer's head because value is something that only exists in the customer's mind. And as soon as you can wrap your head around that, then it's, I won't say it's easy, but it's straightforward. You know what you have to do. It just happens to be kind of difficult because you're, everything you do uh, can only be measured in your customer's head because nothing else matters. Right. And the reason you know that, and uh, for those of you who don't know Mark, um, is you've been in a variety of industries for 25 years. And you even said for sales, marketing, new products, you found yourself in high, um, high price tag items throughout your whole career, which is why you know how to sort of create more value because you're trying to justify a higher price point. Um, Mark also helps his clients find, win, and keep more business more profitably. We're going to talk about that led firms to be value and price leaders in a wide variety of product and service industries. So listeners, one of these will probably apply to you. Get his book, Radical Value, Elevate Your Company and Career by Unleashing the Power with, Within Customer Centricity. And he's coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona. So I like your definition of value. Well, you want to start with that? Well, um, thank you. I will. And Remember that customers don't buy our products or services. They buy the outcomes mm-hmm. our products or services deliver to them. So value is how, they, how much they desire those outcomes and how well they perceive those outcomes. So there's a whole chain of do they, do they connect your features to their outcomes? Do they believe them? Do they value those outcomes? Do they understand? Have you clearly articulated them because customers don't under don't connect those outcomes by themselves very well and certainly not very completely. So once you get that desirability of the outcomes, then there's a whole complex chain of things. Do they believe it? Do they connect it to the outcomes? Do they know all the outcomes? Um, so it gets really interesting really fast. And then the other thing is, is that are you, as a salesperson or as a customer service person, are you really addressing the most pressing outcome, you know, that's most important to them at the moment? Completely agree, Lee. Um, most important to them. And if, if the one that you are best at delivering isn't the one that's most important, can you shift 
that a little bit or add to it so that not only the one they currently think is most important, but they can add to that list. Um, yeah. Because th that's, that's the beauty of it. And I'll, I'll add to that, actually, is that it's really not uh, what they think is, is the most important. It's really about what the CEO, what the board thinks is, is the most important. It's the thing that they talk about in meetings every week, every month, uh, during the quarterly report if they're a large company. It's like that's really, if, if you can tie it back to that, now you really got something. Now you're providing some serious value. Oh, you're absolutely right, Lee. And we all know as salespeople, uh, we've been kind of conditioned to think you try to get to that, that C-level person. Uh, but if your outcomes that you're talking about aren't outcomes that a C-level person cares about, don't go talk to the C-suite. Because not only will it not impact them, but now you're blackballed and you will never get to see them again. So you better be able to figure out what is C-suite worthy outcomes and then be able to talk to those outcomes with those people and not about your speeds and feeds and ease of training unless it's really a big bottom line concern at the C-suite. Interesting. Can you tell the story? I like the story you told about pricing and a statistic about sales teams um, and that one employee who said, well, I sold it for this price, but if it's not a profitable sale, that's not my problem. Um, yeah. To tie that um, all in a big ball, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, I used to, you know, I, I've not only been a sales leader, I've been, been a, uh, I've had P&L responsibility as a product manager, as a business leader. And I know that the price you sell at is the biggest lever to move your profitability because your costs of fulfilling, your costs of manufacturing, delivering, whatever, don't change just because your salesperson discounted a couple percent. So that every dollar you discount is a profit dollar, not just a revenue dollar. Um, so I've seen some very dysfunctional sales organizations where if they aren't compensated on deal profitability, like almost three quarters of them are, aren't, um, there is actually a, thought process where a salesperson says, well, it's the company's job to make a profit at the price I sold. And talk about a, a disconnect. What are you, what kind of an impression are you as a salesperson, as a sales leader creating, if you work in the only department in the entire company that doesn't care about profitability? Um, do you have any right to whine that you don't have a seat at the big boys executive table when you're the only department that doesn't care about the success, the profitability of the company? I think that that shows in, in many cases uh, what some salespeople possess or don't possess, which is uh, business acumen. And I'm curious about how you believe that your experience in handling P&Ls has made you a better salesperson because you had business acumen. Um, it, that's great, and it's actually going to a great transition to um, COVID times, right? We're recording this during the meat of COVID lockdown, and customers are going to be very risk averse. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They're going to be in. They are going to worry about every decision, much less a buying decision. Um, and so, the salesperson who's going to help somebody actually make a decision to do something, 
I mean, to do anything, forget just buying it, anything, just doing anything is going to be the person who helps that person think that doing something is safer than doing nothing. And that means understanding their business, their situation, at least as well as the customer does. And if you're just selling your stuff, that's not going to get over that hurdle. You've got to have a deep understanding of them, their business, and how your stuff is going to help them grow or improve or preserve their business. And that means you have to understand business. I, I say you can't, we hear a lot of uh, people talk about insight selling, perspective selling, and I'm sorry, you can't have insight into something that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You can't know thy customer's business until you know business. You know, it's not just about, you know, first, it's, we talked about not caring about your company's profitability, but, but you really have to care about the profitability of your customer and figure out how you can improve that. So yeah. if you don't care about profitability in general or whatever, then it's like, you know, you're probably not a great salesperson. Yeah, one of the working <laughs> titles for my book uh, before Radical Value was the value multiplier. Because when, oh, you yes. add, when you add value to your customer's business, they will multiply value back to you. So is the way to become a better manager of your teams to be more transparent with your team about your departmental P&L and, and coach people up and teach them and get them to be more critically thinking about these things? What are some of your uh, solutions? I'm not sure. Maybe your own departmental P&L. Um, I'm a big proponent of putting some element of profitability in the comp plan. Mm-hmm. Um, only about 25% of Salesforce's nationwide, the last, last data I saw, which is kind of old data, uh, but the last data I saw, only about 25% of Salesforce's have any portion of their comp plan. And when you think that industries like steel are 100% comped on profitability, that means the rest of the industries, that 25% is even lower. And so therefore, that's why sales doesn't care so much about profitability, because that's not where they get their incentive. Yeah, we almost pay them not to care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and here's the thing, and this is kind of the most important part of of what I have to say. I sold uh, sales methodology and sales training for one of the countries, the world's biggest sales training organizations. So I'm a big believer in methodology. But methodology without understanding the customer's outcomes really doesn't get you very far. Um, I and over a hundred other consultants at this other, at this big company uh, all found out, all experienced the reality. And since then I've talked to people at what were competitors, the, the other big sales training companies, salespeople, the thing that they uniformly do poorly is understand the customer's outcome, what the customer thinks they are getting when they buy from it. Mm -hmm. So the thing salespeople are worst is customer value. And all of the other methodology, all of the other training, and Lee, with all due respect, all the hiring, all of the coaching, if you're not coaching around customer value, all of that coaching that you're doing is a lot of noise around the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever hear the story that somebody went to work with Kobe Bryant uh, one morning and they were, he's, 
saying, you're the greatest basketball player in the world. Why are you working on fundamentals? And Kobe said, I'm the greatest basketball, basketball player in the because. world. Because. Because. <laughs> I work on fundamentals. Yeah, right. yeah. And so if value is why customers buy, it is the most important thing in the entire sales process. And if it's the thing that salespeople do worst, why are you distracting anybody if you can't get them to sell that fundamental customer outcome? Uh, are, if you're not, if you're worried about dials, if you're worried about number, you know, the how many business lunches you've taken, if you're worried about did you make enough presentations, did you send enough, did you send this bit of collateral out? Are they? Is it a lead that's scoring high enough? but you're not measuring their perceived value, you are engaging in quantity, not quality. How would you take your message then and apply it then to the customer service professionals that are out there and the managers who are managing teams of, of customer service departments? Um, I believe that uh, companies have splintered the customer interface. When I started too many decades ago for me to admit, uh, there might be two sales roles and inside sales, outside sales, and three to five uh, other roles that touch the customer. Now I have clients that regularly have 15 roles that touch the customer. And people with a sales title are minority shareholders mm -hmm. in the customer interface. And back in the old days, when it was four or five, we told the non-sales customer-facing people, just stay in your lanes, mind your own business, do your job and do it well, um, but let sales do the selling. And now the customer service and all the customer facing people, I'm gonna broaden your question uh, even more. Those people need to be able to step outside, have enough acumen into their customer's business that they can look at the big picture, look at the problems and just look across the aisle when you're the installer saying, you know, that over there, that looks like a problem. What happens in your business when that problem creeps up? How many dollars a year do you think that costs you? And they don't have to sell anything, but just take the answers to those simple questions back to the hive. And we don't teach those people to have those kind of conversations. The best practices in the industry now is delight the customer, do a delightful job installing, clean up after yourself or whatever. Uh, but we don't tell them have a value conversation because that installer has a trusted relationship with somebody sales will never meet with more mm -hmm. trust than sales will ever achieve. And repeat that from installation to project management, to client success, to tech support, to on and on and on. There's dozen, there's over a dozen or dozens of trusting relationships that sales will never have that are opportunities for customer insight that we're just leaving on the table. It's interesting. We're in a difficult climate, as we all know, but it sounds to me that as long as you're creating value that is relevant to what's happening in real time, would you suggest that there are um, sales that can happen now and opportunities that can happen and maybe you should reach out to your prospects and offer to do a real-time discovery session? Because you can't really know what the value is right now because uh, it's all 
but upside it's down. It's crazy. You know, whatever yeah. it was back in and back quickly. in January, it's totally different now. Super right? yeah. fast. You know, that's that's a really great question because it turns out that every business in the world has had their perceived value change. Yeah. You know, we've we've seen what happened to the perceived value of an airfare or a cruise line mm-hmm. vacation. But the perceived value of your Amazon Prime membership of Grubhub uh, mm-hmm. has changed. Grubhub thought that they were a convenience play. They're a safety play. And that was never true before. Mm-hmm. Uh, companies that manufactured in the USA were saying, you know, we're pulling on your patriotic heartstrings. But it turns out that if you have a US manufacturer, all those Chinese supply chain problems, where your factory went down because a key component was made in China, that's a big deal. And it was always theoretically true, but no purchasing agent ever bought into that possibility that, that China might shut down or that we might shut down or we might, and, and we kind of got a pre, precursor of that with a trade war, but now those, there's, your value has changed. And so in my book, I talk about an exercise to help understand all of the possible customer outcomes oh, great. that could come from your unique selling proposition. And it turns out that a lot of times things you didn't know have become true. Things that were not important have become supremely important. Things that used to be important are no longer important to your customers. So this same analysis of what's all the possible value, um, I'm finding a lot of customers, if they've done these kind of exercise, they say, oh, well, we just had a shift in it, or I've had a shift in how I have to deliver. You know, uh, Lee, you and I have uh, been in, in the C-suite, we've heard about somebody who ran a yoga studio who was mm-hmm. heartbroken that she had to shut that yoga studio down until she realized that people working from home need yoga worse than ever. And if that she'd just offer virtual yoga lessons, her business grew by 40%. We had an, um, another guest on the podest too that uh, that is a therapist and it's like and, and she totally changed yes. her entire practice where now it's totally online. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a friend who told a story of a startup who had a product that was sold to spas and she was launching the week before the world shut down. Oh, wow. And was like heartbroken. But it turns out that this product, um, which was had been designed to make a certain type of spa treatment more automated, um, she discovered after a couple minutes guidance that this product didn't just make that spa treatment more automated, it made it contactless. Oh. <laughs> so, wow. Right. So there's value that wasn't even considered mm-hmm. in the before times that is huge. Uh, think about it. You, you've all we've all seen the Domino's commercial ads uh, talking about contactless delivery. You know, Domino's did not have to change a darn thing in their process. Mm-mm. When that pizza comes out of the 450 degree oven, it's always been too darn hot to touch. They've always taken it off with a peel and for efficiency reason that with that peel, they put it right in the box, they mm-hmm. cut it in the box. So they've never touched the darn pizza. Yeah. They didn't change their process to make contactless delivery possible. They changed their marketing to make their process more appealing. 
so as we wrap it up here, it's like there, there's one big idea that I think that, that we can offer here, Mark. And you and I spoke about this when I was a guest on your Value Clarity podcast. So a l- little plug for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, you know, we talked about all the people now that are touching the, the customer, that are, that are customer facing. It never used to be that way. But now it's like what used to be, as you said, what used to be two or three is now 14 or 15. All of them, as you said, then are opportunities to, then, then to gather customer insight. What happens to that customer insight? And so you and I are both big proponents of setting up a, a centralized repository where all of these people can, can share information so that all the various departments that are, can, can adjust. The marketing can change their messaging. Sales can uh, change their approach. Product development can change the product. Trainers can train on how they train customers and onboard with that sort of thing, if they have the knowledge in the moment to be able to respond rapidly. You want to talk about a little bit about that idea? Yeah. And I'm going to give you credit. As I was writing that, I thought of all the big complex customer data platform technology solutions. And I did the typical big company, anything worth doing is worth overcomplicating thing. And when we were talking about it, you said, no, we started with just an email thread and then we made it a Slack channel. And now we so it doesn't have to be a big, hairy, complicated thing. It's when your people get an insight, just report it into the repository, and somebody is the is the custodian of that, and it is a central touch point for everybody in the company. Your product developers get product ideas from that. Your marketers get great content marketing ideas from that. Your salespeople teach each other best practices from that. It's a great it's way a, to connect all the It's an docs. easy thing to do. It takes mm-hmm. next to no time to set up. And it's like, and your company will benefit exponentially from it, especially during these times when things are changing so rapidly from day to day. Uh, if you can be agile and to be able to share that information quickly and not, and not just about, it's not just about feedback about your products or services. It's like what's on their mind, what unique challenges are they facing that they were never facing before? What new trends are, might be emerging? What concerns do their customers have that they never had before? And if you can get insight into that and you can get that insight out to everybody in the company that, that needs to have access to it, even if they, you don't think that they need to have access to it, they'll be the ones that decide what to do with it because they're making decisions every day for their own unique departments and the better information they have, the better decisions they can make. Yeah, it's simple, but it's a radical departure from how companies operate today, which is why I called it radical value. Well, Mark, it's boundyconsulting.com is your website if you'd like to reach out. And uh, your Boundy Mark, at Boundy Mark for your Twitter. And uh, if, I encourage everyone to go to c-suitenetwork.com and put in Mark's name and watch his um, book club interview to get more information on this. It's what a pleasure having you on the show, Mark. We appreciate you, your time today. Oh, I appreciate you having me. And it was a fun conversation. Thank you very much. Great to have you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.